All right, I'm very excited to be wrapping up Leviticus tonight with Sherry and Elizabeth, and we are going to be going through the last two chapters of Leviticus rather quickly um, to give us enough time to be able to do a, a full overview of the book of Leviticus. There's been so much um, that I've gleaned from this, and I know um, Sherry and Elizabeth would say the same um, just from a variety of perspectives. But we're going to um, not waste time and go ahead and jump in to chapter 26 first and um, walk through that in, in chapter 27. And Elizabeth has been very kind in volunteering to kind of walk us through chapter 26. And then Sherry and I will add comments as we, um, if, if there's anything in our notes in addition to what Elizabeth brings out. So. All right, so chapter 26 is kind of split up into, I'd say, three sections. Um, the headers in my Bible only have it in two, but I'll explain more what I mean in a minute there. So the first, uh, I guess that's 13 verses, talks about the blessings that God promises to his people for obeying the law. Um, and so the first few verses really clarifies what sort of things they're not supposed to do. Um, so no idols, you're not going to bow down to any false gods, and you're to uh, keep the Sabbaths and to honor God. And he gives just a really quick description of the good things that are going to happen. It's like there's going to be peace in the land, your fields are going to be abundant, and God is going to be faithful and continue the promises of the covenant to them. And then in the next section... It's a lot more descriptive about all the bad things that are going to happen when they, when and if they do not obey him, do not follow everything that was in the law. And so it talks about, you know, the land is not going to bring forth any produce and uh, <clears throat> other countries are going to come and persecute them. And, you know, there's going to be famine, there's going to be war, there's going to be all these awful things. It's very descriptive but then there's kind of like a a little hopeful twist at the end that when they are in captivity number one God's not going to forget them and number two he's not going to forget the land that he has promised to them so it's almost like he knows they're going to forsake specifically the um, Sabbath years where they let the land rest because it mentions the land will enjoy its Sabbaths so kind of this foreknowledge that okay this is one of the things that y'all are definitely not gonna not gonna follow through with um but the hope comes towards the end that he's not going to completely abandon his people but there's gonna be some delivered from captivity which we would call like the remnant that eventually returns when this does happen and so i think we discussed the cross reference of this in deuteronomy 28 in the um, when we were finishing up the Deuteronomy adult class, and someone made the comment I don't remember, it actually may have been Jerry about how <laughs> the blessings are so short because you know God is promising them these few things, but He fully intends to bless them more than they could ever imagine if they do mm -hmm. um, follow His laws. And so it's kind of a keeping expectations low mm -hmm. so no one is disappointed because obviously God could not disappoint us in how much he's promised to bless us. Mm. But then on the other hand, the punishments are a lot more descriptive because now no one can claim ignorance. Like, oh, we didn't know this was going to happen. God, you didn't tell us this was going to happen. Mm -hmm. He is not giving them a way out. Right. Um, right. Definitely making sure they understand the full consequences of whatever action they choose to take. Mm -hmm. And then um, I think this really kind of covers, encapsulates a lot of the themes we've been talking about, where we've talked about God's justice and his mercy, mm -hmm. where he has a just punishment for those that do not revere him, for those that do not honor him, but he also promises mercy even when they do fall away. So I think this kind of uh, summarizes a lot of the themes really well. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that last part up about um, him providing mercy <clears throat> for when they do stray 
um, because as we you know brought out several times through this book in different chapters, that theme I think is very strong. Is you see the desire um, of God for His people to be blessed and for them to enjoy the riches that God has in store mm-hmm. for them, but also recognizing that justice will be carried out when they disobey. Um, but again. It's like that sandwich almost, like here are the blessings, here are the cursings, but if you return, here's what, you know, lies in store. And I just, I think that's so important to bring out in particular in Leviticus in a book that so many bring out, um, they almost pervert um, some of the verses and take it out of context. And and if you don't look at it as a whole, it's very easy to um, get kind of bitter and um, see God in a skewed view than his actual character. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you bringing that out. Sherry, was there anything else from chapter 26 that you wanted to um, pull out? So just kind of focusing on the blessings part of it, um, uh, I saw a lot of um, Garden of Eden language, mm-hmm. um, a lot about crops growing. Um, there's a lot, there's talk about the that sort of tangentially mentions like a wall, like a walled garden, which mm-hmm. is what the Garden of Eden was, the walled garden, which is paradise. Um, I see a lot of that. Um, also, Psalm 23 language, mm-hmm. um, verses 6 and 7, uh, I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I will remove, remove harmful beasts from the land and the sword shall not go through your land. Uh, and then he talks about um, even in verse 7 you shall chase your enemies and they shall fall before you by the sword and um, so that that kind of reminds me a lot of um, uh, the language from Psalm 23 Um, and then the punishment and disobedience uh, for disobedience section um, uh, I think points towards it's prophetic of, of the, the captivity mm-hmm. um, and of the return mm-hmm. as well. Um, also, I thought it was interesting that we, because what was the last time we talked about Sabbaths a lot? Um, the Sabbath, yeah, because we talked about the Jubilee. Talked about the Sabbath years and, and so it, it, God saying that the land shall enjoy its Sabbath. So kind of hinting at the fact that they weren't going to observe the Sabbath years, right. and the land was going to have to have rest, mm-hmm. and so, um, and that's actually what ended up happening was that while they were in captivity, there were ten Sabbath years because of seventy years. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, and I think that's significant too because um, anytime you have <clears throat> the number seven, um, combined either multiplied by itself or combined with the number ten. That's a power number. It's like a lot, mm-hmm. and so um, um, so maybe um, it's an indication that that there were at least that many Sabbaths that they hadn't observed, <laughs> at least that many Sabbath years that they hadn't observed, because God mm-hmm. was like, the land is going to have its Sabbaths. Right. So if you're not observing the Sabbath years, then you're just storing them up until you're going to be gone out of here so that the land can have its habits. Right, yeah. And so um, um, so th- those are the things that I saw about this chapter. Um, uh, I think also kind of structurally um, this chapter is kind of a standalone. Um, uh, it's sort of like an interlude. Um, and then I think we'll see in chapter 27 that kind of starts a new um kind of a new section right that goes over into numbers right but um this is kind of a standalone um and and it's uh, the blessings and the cursings you know like elizabeth mentioned that that we have the parallel passage of deuteronomy mm-hmm. this is what happens if you do the, all the things that we've been talking about mm-hmm. this is what's going to happen if you don't do all the things we've been talking about then this is the bad stuff that's going to happen right <clears throat> and you've seen that you've seen that about the last chapter is uh, very helpful because it does seem like you're saying about 26 it being an interlude sort of chapter 
and then 27 just seems, I mean, you know, as, uh, uh, you know, as you end the book, it just seems like a, like it's not supposed to be ending there. Like it, like you said, it's kind of got a new thought. Um, and it does make me, it's almost reminiscent to me of, you know, you've got the end of the book of, it's not exactly the same, but the end of the book of Genesis going into Exodus where it's like, okay, now let's pick up from where we, you know, and it's just, Mm -hmm. but here, like you said, it's almost like that's more, it feels like more of the beginning thoughts to numbers than the ending thoughts to Leviticus. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Mm -hmm. but, uh, but thank you for bringing that out. And if you don't mind, if you would go ahead and start walking us through 27, um, we'll go ahead and transition into that chapter and then go through our overview after that. Okay, so there, uh, there, there's a lot in the in chapter 27, but it's a lot of um, it's a, there's a lot of repetition and there's a lot of also details about different things. Basically, what you have is um, I think two things. Um, one is how to handle vows, and so um, you have to kind of read through it a couple of times to get what he's actually saying about each vow. Um, but so a vow is not, is a voluntary thing. A vow is not something that God has commanded you to do. And so, um, but if you do make a vow, um, you don't have to make a vow, but if you make a vow, then you got to keep it. Right. And so like it says in Ecclesiastes, it's better not to vow than Mm -hmm. to vow and not pay. Right. And so that's why, because if you make a vow, this is what you got to do. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of regulations involving the vow. Also, if you make a vow to God, then that's another thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes a distinction um, between... So you, you, have your, you have your animal sacrifices that you make. Mm-hmm. And then you have, if you make a vow, that's on top of that. Mm-hmm. So... You can't use your regular sacrifices as a part of the vow because it's like you don't get a twofer. You know, it's like, okay, this is for your sacrifice. Now you're making another vow. Okay, well, that's something else. So you can't take away from your sacrifice Mm -hmm. to make a vow. Um, Also, um, uh, when, when, uh, when they would... Uh, when they would when they would make their tithes, um, they weren't allowed to use the firstborn of the herd or the flock as part of that because that's already God's. Mm-hmm. So the firstborn is already God's. So you can't like read it like for the, for the same reason. It's not. It's like you can't have a twofer. You can't use that as your. You can't use <laughs> use one as your firstborn sacrifice. And then also use that as your as your tithe, mm-hmm. um, because it's already God's. Yeah. So you're not you're not giving in God something that's not already His. Um, so I think there's some distinctions on that, and it's kind of hard to um, to make that make that leap when you when you first read it. It's like okay, wait, what? Right. They can use an unclean animal. They could they could use unclean animals. Well, not in their sacrifices, but as part of their vows, yes. Mm-hmm. And so um, it was it was two different things, and he's partly making the provision that, okay, you can't use it twice. Um, then he goes into talking about um, the um, year of Jubilee, and there's a bunch of different... Um, uh, regulations about when the jubilee happens then with an eye towards when the jubilee happens then what things are worth when it's coming up on the jubilee basis uh uh versus what after the jubilee then you know then a thing is worth more after the jubilee because it could be another 50 years Mm -hmm. um particularly the land and the uh, produce that comes off of the land Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, um, I think, I think it's, um, 
and we talked about this last time with the year of Jubilee, that the year of Jubilee was to reinforce the idea that all this stuff that you're accumulating is not really yours anyway. Mm-hmm. It's all going back to the original guy and really a goal goes back to God. So God owns everything. And so, um, so, so you, you, you can, so don't treat it like, well, this is mine. Mm-hmm. And so when the ju- year of Jubilee comes, then you don't really want to give it back. Well, right. It wasn't yours to begin with. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, so there's a lot of regulations regarding how, how to, and it's sort of um, just kind of lays out like fairness, like, okay, it's not fair that if you sell a piece of property a year before the Jubilee mm-hmm. and get a bunch of money for it because right. <clears throat> then it just comes back to you. Yeah. And so you have to, you, God's regulating that so that people can't take advantage of right. their brethren. Yeah, you know, realizing that okay, well, this is just going to come back to me. So, mm-hmm. and and uh, and on the on the other side as well. So, um, so I think that's what uh, and and it's it's so it's it talks about vows at the beginning, and then it moves into talking about um, modifications because of the timing of jubilee, mm-hmm. the year of jubilee. Then, um, so that's like the beginning of thoughts that are going to come about in numbers. And so that's at the beginning of the sort of like symmetrical structure. And then uh, at the end of it, in Numbers chapter 9, we're going to talk about Passover and modifications that they have to make because of the timing of Passover. Mm -hmm. And so similar thing you know it's like vows and modifications because of jubilee then we have modifications because of the passover mm-hmm. when the pa- when the timing of the passover and when they were going to have to do another passover because some people were, were unclean for the first passover and those kind of things so that's kind of where that ties in so that's why i think it um really more ties in with numbers than it does in with leviticus because yeah. it fits into that structure well, and I mean, it is a right reminder to me of, I mean, we've got what, uh, you know, the Jewish people would call the Torah, where you've got, you know, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. And to me, I've always in my mind had more of Genesis and Exodus linked together because of their strong narratives. Mm-hmm. And then the last three linked together because of these, you know, more of this mm-hmm. um instruction and commands and you know a lot more heavy on that um not to say i mean there are narratives in and we'll find more in numbers i think than Mm -hmm. we have in leviticus but still overwhelmingly leviticus numbers deuteronomy you've got basically speeches to the people about um, how to live so anyway i appreciate you bringing that out because um i think that's something that elizabeth had mentioned it just seems almost jarringly out of in a sense out of context because it's like oh okay well we're back to you know uh specifics about the values of things and you know um like you were pointing out where he's going through the year of jubilee and you know just very um uh what is the word uh liturgical is that or mm-hmm. my, is that the right word yeah uh type discussions mm-hmm. of you know what what does the law say about mm-hmm. this and how are we to mm-hmm. to interact with mm-hmm. it um so elizabeth was there anything else from 27 that you wanted to pull out before we kind of go and pull some of our themes out for from leviticus overall not necessarily i was telling y'all before i was just kind of lost like i understood what was going on but that just the very separate nature of it mm-hmm. without having started numbers yet was very jarring. The best connection I could bring out was it begins and ends with things that you were devoting to God. So mm-hmm. you have the sacrifices in the beginning and then you have vows at the end. Mm-hmm. The difference being one is required, one is commanded, and the other is voluntary. Yeah. And it's almost like the whole purpose of the law in between is to kind of get the people from doing things because it's commanded 
versus giving to God because they want to, which mm-hmm. um, is one of the kind of big themes that I mm-hmm. want to get to later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's an excellent observation, and I appreciate you bringing that out because um, where you've got in the start, and that's what I think these are these kind of studies are so beneficial for is seeing the book as a whole, but where you've got as the start, um, you know, being separate and holy because God has said, I'm God, and, and you are to be like me, and then ending with, uh, like you said, it's kind of it, to me. It seems like where God wants you to arrive to where you are voluntarily saying, "I want to give everything to you," you know. Um, and I, I mean, of course, we see that present day in our lives where we are striving to move from what's the checkbox to how much more can I give, you know, and how much can I dedicate to Him. Um, all the while, and I don't want to go off in too much of a tangent because we need to get through the, the whole of Leviticus, but, um, but being careful to recognize while we may dedicate, you know, a certain amount or vow or whatever, um, that is not, that does not equate what God has commanded. So, you know, for us to be careful of, yes, we dedicate all that we feel is right but be careful not to look at your neighbor and say, why aren't they dedicating, you know, why aren't they vowing like I'm vowing? Well, that's not what God said, you know, but as Sherry brought out, once you do vow, you have, you have made that an oath of, you know, that you've got to carry through with, you know, Jephthah obviously comes to mind among others, but Um, anyway, so I, I just think those are such interesting points, and I appreciate, you know, your bookends there, bringing those out, Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. I think that's very yeah. helpful way to look at it mm-hmm. structurally um, speaking um, and thinking of in terms of what feels that dash in between. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you bringing that out. Okay, so I do think, um, you know, obviously there are, you know, lots of different things that we could all pick, you know, through these. And my thought was, um, you know, kind of top three of what, you know, stood out to each of us. Um, and I know there might be a little bit of overlap, but this is, again, not to be just, you know, hey, everybody needs to do this, but everybody does need to do this. Um, <laughs> but mm-hmm. studying this book as a whole, I do think this is one of the great benefits at, of doing something like this is, the themes that stand out to you and stick with you are going to be different than the person sitting next to you. And I don't think that was that is necessarily by accident. Um, but I do think individually as we study, we're going to be gleaning more and more um, from those books. And, and, and the benefit of getting together with our Christian family and saying, here's what I've seen. This is really amazing. And then say, wow, that's, that is amazing. I didn't see that. Here's what I saw. Just like, you know, uh, Elizabeth bringing out those bookends. I did not, I, I haven't seen that. And of course, you know, Sherry's mm-hmm. our go-to for the bringing out things we've not noticed. But um, anyway, so enough babbling on that. But I, I would like for us to just kind of mm-hmm. top three um, themes that we've seen uh, in the book of Leviticus. And I'll start off with the gimme. Um, and then we'll kind of like, you know, take a turn and it, you know, hopefully wrap this up within an hour. So um, the obvious, you know, one that I think everybody, you know, would say um, to some degree or another is the holiness. Um, And for this read through for me, um, what stood out more on the, you know, being a separate and apart people, you know, to be holy unto God is seeing more of um, the specifics of him using these physical, tangible things to help them arrive, you know, to the spiritual lesson. Because I think so many times we say, well, Old Testament physical, New Testament spiritual, but I think he was teaching this even in this time, not just for, you know, us, for our benefit, but for these people to go from physical to spiritual um, lessons that, you know, this is more than just the clothes you put on, the food you eat. This needs to go deeply into your soul that everything about you, it is it is preaching to others that you are serving the one true and living God. And that um, stood out to me 
you know, from the start to the finish in Leviticus. And that, that was impressive to me, um, not only in the way that people lived here, but, you know, is that it, that's that's another lesson lesson of Christianity that's brought out very strongly of we've got to be that light to the world. So anyway, um, so that's that's the first one I've got. So Sherry, I'll go to you for one of your top three, and we'll okay. go take um, our turns. Um, well, since you mentioned holiness, um, um, I think that. Um, you know, we talked about this before about it being about Leviticus being sort of right in the middle of the giving of the law um, that starts it, you know, Exodus chapter twenty and goes mm-hmm. all the way through Numbers, um, and so um, I think that Leviticus being right, um, being right in the the right sort of at the apex of the if you want to look at it as chiasm or whatever, but sort of in the center of it um, is Leviticus, which is about holiness. Um, And um, so um, uh, holiness as far as um, uh, separateness, Mm -hmm. so there's, there's, there's a holiness that's just like set apart for a special purpose. Um, and then there's also holiness, sort of like wholeness, mm-hmm. or being like God, which is different. Yeah. You know, something can be set apart for a special purpose and it's not really that valuable. Right. Um, <clears throat> it's just like somebody told me one time, <laughs> I think uh, Matt Johnson said this, in one of the team meetings that we had, he said, we have in our house we have a pair of holy scissors <laughs> so these are scissors that you are not allowed to use for anything else except cutting fabric right and if you do bad things will happen to you so those are holy scissors because they're set apart for a specific purpose mm-hmm. <laughs> but but then there's the then there's the aspect of being being like god yeah so that uh, i think that i think that um, throughout the book of leviticus those two things are um, are expounded on. Mm-hmm. Um, also, that Leviticus is more. The, uh, so you have the Ten Commandments in in Exodus chapter twenty, and then so Leviticus is more sort of breaking that down into details. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ten Commandment is the framework. Then th- at the end of the Book of Exodus, it, it's things about the tabernacle and how they're going to set up the tabernacle, where they're going to worship, and then Leviticus is more about how they're going to worship and how they're going to um, how they're going to to um, fulfill the Ten Commandments. You know, the Ten Commandments are pretty general, and then Leviticus is like, okay, this is what I mean by that, and these are the things, these are the ways that you're going to um, abide by these commandments. And um, really, really specific things, but but it's basically just expounding on the outline, which is the Ten Commandments. Um, uh, so that's one of the that's one of the main things that I took from this 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 study of, of Leviticus because, um, um, and I think if you look at it that way, it helps to get through some of the really detailed details mm-hmm. um, in there if you think of it think back about okay which one of the Ten Commandments is this about right yeah and sort of keeping that outline in your in your mind mm-hmm. when, you're, when you're going through that that's very helpful all right Elizabeth what was one of yours all right so something that stood out to me a lot was how evident God's love and mercy is throughout the old law mm-hmm. just because when we're looking at it from a new law perspective we can think oh this is rigid, this is legalistic, this is just a lot of rules and don't do this. And then we've addressed aspects that people might point out as sexist or ableist or whatever you want to call it. But that's not really 
the point of the law. And we kind of separate Old Testament God and New Testament God into like different people and there's a scary fire and brimstone wrath kind of image we get in our head of Old Testament God. But it's it's the same God mm-hmm. across the Old and New Testament. So his love and his mercy is still going to be there. So mm-hmm. the biggest one that stood out to me is that he lets them offer animal sacrifices instead of, you know, just blasting people, just mm-hmm. um, striking them down whenever they commit sin. Right. There's this opportunity for repentance and restitution, although we know it was imperfect and leads to a better kind of restitution. Um, and then other places where I saw this were like the provisions for the poor and the blessings for obedience that we just talked about. And the whole thing that kind of ties this all together is God is not obligated to be with these people. Mm-hmm. He did not have to make this choice. He could have just, he didn't even have to create mankind. But he does, and he makes these promises to Abraham and to his children, and he is keeping those promises even when they are not, you know, behaving in a way that's in accordance with holiness or in accordance with God's will. So I think it's easy for us to overlook a lot of these details where God is being compassionate and kind Mm -hmm. to these people. Because we get all wrapped up in the, oh, we have to kill an animal. Oh, we have to go through all these rituals. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are killing animals because you you are not being struck down for your sins. <laughs> so. yes, we're killing an animal instead of you. Yes, right. The What is that? We call that the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one of the... Um, that... Um, that tells pretty nicely to one of mine um, that I feel like I want to wait and do that one last if we have time. But uh, I appreciate you uh, bringing out uh, in particular there about um, God's seeing God's character in light of uh, a disobedient people. And we, you know, of course we get that through other um, stories throughout Scripture. But uh, I do appreciate the idea of um, it, that has just been a, this is kind of a sort of a side note, but that has been a humbling lesson that I've been learning in our, you know, study this time through Leviticus is how short I fall of that example and how quickly I can get frustrated with, um, you know, all these other imperfect people around me, you know, that are, you know, not up to, you know, where God would have them to be. And then, you know, having that terrible reminder of, number one, I'm not where God would have me to be. But two, look, I'm supposed to be like God. How does God view and treat these people when they, you know, step outside the bounds? And how much does he love and care for them Mm -hmm. that he continues to be compassionate? And as so many of the writers will say, long-suffering um, throughout the Old Testament especially. So anyway, that's a small tangent. Um, but so it doesn't count. This is my next one. <laughs> you just made me remember. Oh, yeah, that was another one. Um, no, so my second one on my list is the... I, I This has been on my heart for a long time. It's not something necessarily that I've seen in Leviticus until going through this study with, with both of you. But I love and appreciate so deeply... God's beauty in set in to motion through the mundane, ordinary, very unglamorous things of life. And um, Leviticus is just full of that, of all these these very detailed things that it's, again, it is not about, you know, whether or not you have whitewashed the house, but it is about understanding the lesson you've got to get sin out. You've got to get the dirt out. You've got to get any impurities out. And mm-hmm. and you've got to take on so that you can welcome me and my spirit in. You know, and of course, you know, so many New Testament um, examples of that where Jesus has said, you know, just that sort of thing. Well, God has been saying it for so long, though. You know, it's not, again, it's not a New Testament, uh, you know, epiphany. 
he's been trying to teach his people this um, for so many, so many years. So anyway, it's just an encouragement to me, and uh, especially like as my season of life or whatever, that it's not just about, you know, keeping house. It is so much more than that. And, um, and, the, and what God has, you know, instructed for me to be doing within my home is invaluable on the level of what it does for my soul and for the souls under this roof. So um, anyway, I just appreciate Leviticus for that, that it is an encouragement to me that God is trying to teach very deep things through very ordinary and mundane seeming things. So anyway, that's my second one. Cherry, what else did you have? Um, so I really appreciate the... Um, it doesn't look like this on the surface, but I really appreciate how much the book of Leviticus looks forward to the cross. Um, you kind of get bogged down in the details, but when you look at it from you know 30,000 feet, you can see how it points to the cross. And this is something that, I, that I'm just, hammering on all the time with the kids when I'm, when I'm teaching the upper elementary school kids that everything everything in the Old Testament points towards the cross and every time we have a lesson I'm like what does this have to do with the cross mm -hmm. and um, at first when I start doing that they can't think of anything and by the end they're like oh well this 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 and this mm -hmm. and um, so Leviticus is no exception um, because we it, it, constantly we're talking about atoning for our sins we're talking about blood mm -hmm. how the life is in the blood how the how uh, how god requires a blood sacrifice um what to do with the blood what the blood does for you mm -hmm. um uh what you're not supposed to do with the blood you're not supposed to count it just like everything else like all the rest of the tissues of the body the blood is really special mm -hmm. and um uh and all the washings, you know, I mean, if that is not, that, if that isn't a reason that baptism is a thing, right. then I don't know what is. It's, it, it's, there's all these <clears throat> things that have to be washed. The priest's clothes have to be, they have to bathe before they can go into the, into the Holy of Holies. They have to change clothes. They have to be clean. Um, all the sacrifices have to be washed. The, the unclean parts of the sacrifice have to be taken outside the camp and burned. And so there's just all this washing. And, you know, when we talked in, in uh, one of my favorite chapters in, in Leviticus 14 that uh, about the cleansing of the leper and how, you know, the, the, it's just such a picture of what happens on the cross mm -hmm. that um, I just really appreciate um, the book of Leviticus for how it, how it points towards, uh, how it points towards Christ, and how it points towards the cross. Yeah, which I mean, I'm not regretting our next um, session going into numbers, mm -hmm. but man, you just talking through mm -hmm. that has got my heart set on. Let's mm -hmm. go to Hebrews next. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're gonna stick with sure. numbers. Okay, all right. What about you, Elizabeth? So this kind of overlaps with both of y'all's. I was thinking a lot about the remembrances that are brought into law and so clearly you have the big ones you have you know the sabbath which is um, a rem remembrance of creation and taking time to meditate on god's power but then you also have the feast which most of them refer back to specific events in israel's history so you've got the exodus you've got the giving of the law um and you have just the general wanderings in the wilderness but then I think what really kind of ties in to your point, Summer, is that all the ordinary things are supposed to bring their minds back to God, back to their holiness. Mm -hmm. So with all the sacrifices, you're not just killing an animal. Mm -hmm. You are specifically meditating on why you were doing this. Like, my sin has caused this animal to die. Mm -hmm. And then with all the different purifications of being clean versus unclean, there's this constant remembrance of your sin and the holiness that God requires. 
So it's all these things that are coming together to remind the people of who they're supposed to be, who they're serving, how they're supposed to be acting. And I think that's extremely applicable to us because we're commanded to remember Christ's death every week. And I think God knew what people are like and they're the same today as they were thousands of years ago that we forget so easily. And so clearly we see through Israel's history that they forget God because they are not following the law and doing the things that he has commanded to them in order to remember these things. Mm -hmm. So I think that's really telling for us if we stop thinking about Christ, stop thinking about his death, stop thinking about all the things that God has done for us. If we're not remembering those things actively every week, every day, then that's going to lead us astray. Yeah. So. Um, Okay, so that does um, go really well into my my last one was which is restoration Mm -hmm. and um sherry you had brought out i think it was the last class about the connection between sabbath and sacrifice is that Mm -hmm. right last Mm -hmm. class um Mm -hmm. and that has just stood out to me i really appreciated you bringing that out because it was uh, i felt like there were so much of you know throughout leviticus of different talks of um, either sabbath or rest and um, more of we get a little bit more details of the purpose of that mm-hmm. um, you know like you were saying you know yes it goes back to you know the example that he gave to us in the very beginning but why did he even do that you know and and what was the purpose behind it for his people and that restoration being so much more than just a good night's rest at night you know mm-hmm. but a restorative to your soul and body and mind um, and I've just been it's caused me to do a lot more uh, deeper thinking on things like you know on Sunday you know is am I purpose purposing in my heart you know as we're contemplating the sacrifice of using that sort of restorative day for the purpose of putting, you know, meditating more heavily, I guess, Mm -hmm. on those things that I should be gleaning, you know, on a daily basis from God's word and then having a day set aside to allow my soul, in essence, to rest and receive, you know, what God is is wanting to impart to me, if that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. I I don't mean that in any kind of mystical way whatsoever, but Mm -hmm. But just in the sense of, you know, we see this throughout Scripture that he, you know, it, it's it's vitally important, even though in the New Testament the Sabbath is not, you know, commanded to keep. I do think there is still that example of there is a purpose for the rest, you know, and there is a purpose of re- restoration and making sure that we are renewing our spirit and our soul, um, you know, certainly daily, but, you know, a, a full day, I do think, you know, is something, while not commanded in the New Testament, that seems like that would be part of the purpose of our, you know, the first day of the week, you know, to to dedicate to that purpose and to be mindful of that. Because there is so much that you were touching on of these reminders that he set in place tangibly that we don't have now, that now it's almost like a, I feel like a greater responsibility Mm -hmm. on us to put in place our own reminders so that we can stay focused. So um, anyway, I just, I really appreciated that. And Sherry, I appreciated you bringing that because it's like, it, it for me, it connected a lot of dots that I was, you know, kind of nebulously had floating around. And it's like, oh yes, that, you know, yes, that is, you know, connected and, and it's really neat to see. So that was my last one. Sherry, what else did you say? Um, well, it's vacillating between what you just said <laughs> and and, um, and this thought that starting, uh, it, it says earlier, but st- starting in about chapter 18, it's highly repetitive. Mm-hmm. I am the Lord, your God. Um, and I think that um, what he's saying when he says that, because you know there's some weird what you think of as weird places where he says that yeah don't do this 
I am the Lord your God. Like, what does that have? Um, so what he's saying is, I am the Lord your God, and I want you to be like me. Right. So don't do this because I don't do that. Mm-hmm. And you're supposed to try to be like me. You're made of my image. So I'm the Lord your God, not these other gods. Because there's a lot of talk about what not to do as far as pagan worship. Um, a lot of the um, sexual sins are surrounding pagan worship. Not that, not that if, if it's not for pagan worship, then it's okay. But they, they were things that the people in the land were, were doing that he was saying, don't do that because, you know, <clears throat> because I'm the Lord your God. Mm-hmm. And those gods that they worship are not the Lord your God. And I don't want you to be like them because you're supposed to be like me. Right. And so um, I just think the constant emphasis on that um, throughout the book of Leviticus, but particularly sort of towards the middle mm-hmm. where, he's, where he says it repeatedly, you know, there's even some uh, poetic structures around, around I am the Lord or I am the Lord your God. And um, uh, so when I think of, it's like um, <clears throat> the passage in Isaiah that um, where, um, where God says, my ways, are, your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts or whatever. My, my ways are higher than yours and my thoughts are higher than yours. What he's saying is not, I'm so much higher than you that you don't have a prayer. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is, my ways are better than yours, so why don't you come and do, my, do it my way? Yeah. Like, you know, it's an admonition to get closer to God because you're supposed to be like God. And so my ways are way higher than yours so why don't you come and, you know, I'm mm-hmm. extending my hand to you to, you know, his, and, and, and in the same, in the same vein, he says, you know, God's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. He, right. He's reaching out to you to be more like him. And so when he says, I am the Lord, your God, he's not just saying I'm way up here and you're way down there. He's saying, I'm the Lord, your God, not these other people, not these other gods. And so I want you to be more like me. So that's why you don't do these things. And that's why you do do these things, because this is what I do. Right. And I do, I, I do think there's an element of that that, you know, I've read, uh, you know, as I'm your parent, mm-hmm. I've told you to do so because I'm your parent. Mm-hmm. When I think, you know, not that they're, and I don't, I, I'm not saying like mm-hmm. that's the wrong way to do it. Mm-hmm. What I am saying is I think there is also, though, an element as parents Mm -hmm. that we need to need to be replicating this Mm -hmm. and saying you are my child and this is how I want you to be because I'm trying to be like our Heavenly Father you know and like not just because I said so again Mm -hmm. not that that's inappropriate but even more so than that Mm -hmm. it's because I want you to Grow. I want you to be better mm-hmm. than where you are right now. Mm-hmm. So do it's this. It's like the argument that when kids make the argument, well, so and so's, you know, doing it. Why can't I? And you say because you are my child. Right. Not. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, not because I'm so much better than you, but you're my child, and you're the one that I care about, and I want you to be closer to how I am. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. And Elizabeth, I think you've got the. Last words here, oh, no, no pressure. All right. <laughs> so thinking about what Sherry said, and then one of the questions that I posed at the beginning, it's like, why is it necessary for God to be pulling these people towards himself? Why would he need to call them to holiness? And as we've already discussed, it's because God is holy. And so if we think about the thing that caused the separation between us and God, it's sin. That's the whole reason... We have the law. That's the whole reason God is striving to bring us back to him is because we've been separated by sin. And so I think the law um, is very cognizant of that. Number one in the sacrifices and just the things that we do that are sinful separate us from God. But then there's this also recognition that the the whole world itself is broken because of sin. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about <clears throat> individuals 
or animals with defects, that's not what God designed it to be like. When God made everything and he said it was good, it was good. And sin is what kind of separates us from that ultimate goodness. That's why we have, you know, unclean animals or people who are not um, fit for the priesthood. It's because of the long-term, very real physical consequences of sin. Mm -hmm. Or when we talk about the Sabbath years and the land needing to rest. Well, in the garden, would the land have needed to rest? Probably not, because God made it perfect, made it sustaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and that separation from God and the the curses that were put upon the land, upon the people, that's what kind of drives us towards the law. That's the whole reason we have this. And so I think it's very kind of cognizant of this um, corruption of sin in every aspect of humankind, Mm -hmm. but also striving to overcome that, to overcome the Mm -hmm. consequences of sin through holiness, through sacrifice, by becoming more like God. And those are consequences that we're still facing today. Um, just as Christians, as just humans existing, we're going to face a lot of struggles, but God still gives us a way to overcome the sin that is in the world to be more like him. And so God doesn't change in who he is and who the like opportunities that he provides for his people. And I, I really like drawing out that continuity instead of kind of separating it out. Yeah. Excellent. I really appreciate all the thoughts um, throughout this whole study and uh, through the reviews tonight. This is just, like I said, it's one of the most uh, beneficial things I think we can do as far as spending our time together and, um, you know, gleaning individually, but then, you know, together uh, with other Christians. Um, And so just one more reminder for um, starting on September 16th, Um, We will be beginning the Book of Numbers um, on Fridays at 2 o'clock. So if you have any questions about that, please feel free to contact Sherry, Elizabeth, or myself. Um, We would love to have you here. We'll continue recording these for those who would like to hear them um, but can't be there at that time. So anyway, thanks so much. I appreciate all of the hard work that you guys have put into this, and thanks for those who are listening and enjoying it. Hope you all have a good night.